you are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 3rd of July. Two more players signed with the Jazz in free agency. What does it mean about the status of the franchise? And who are Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier? We'll talk about those reports. Plus, any thoughts on Summer League Day 2? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it better to be a fan of your favorite team each and every day of the offseason. Uh, the podcast is available for you on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all there for you. All right, lots of fun things to talk about today uh, and appreciate it. Uh, next week's shows, I'll get them in when I can. Uh, I'll be out. My daughter's playing in a golf tournament, so I'm on the road with her. The next week after that, I will probably take off. And then uh, we'll hit into the summer interview series uh, along the way. So we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, we are all still, as recording, sitting down and waiting for the Kawhi Leonard decision. Uh, feels kind of funny that it has taken uh, so long, and yet, frankly, this is still earlier than Gordon Hayward did anything. So it seems as though um, just a very different world this year. All right. Um Interesting. So the Jazz have made two signings, Jeff Green as well as Emmanuel Moutier. Let me let me go big picture, if I may, here for a second. The big picture item that is taking place in Utah is that the f- four reported signings of the Utah Jazz, Bojan Bonjanovic, Ed Davis... Uh, Jeff Green, Emmanuel Moutier, all reported signings. All four of them chose Utah. Bojan Bandianovic, I think, from my understanding, had basically a similar offer from Indiana. Chose Utah. Ed Davis could have signed a two-year, $10 million contract with just about anyone. I mean, he and Robin Lopez were the two premier backup centers that were available. Dwayne Dedman got more from Sacramento. But otherwise, that's the market now for a backup center in the NBA. A good one is a two-year, $5 million contract and using the room exception. And that is absolute. That, that contract was available to Ed Davis from probably any number of teams. I mean, probably as many as 10 teams. Uh. Jeff Green, that contract was probably one year at the minimum was available probably from 20 teams or at least 15 teams are competing. And Emmanuel Moutier is a little different. He really has had a struggle in his career, but his is blatantly B.J. Armstrong, his agent, reaches out to the Utah Jazz and says, that's the kind of program I want my client in. I want to put him with your coaching staff, with your development program, 
and see if we can change who he is as a player the way you have with other players. That's That in and of itself is a dramatic change to who the Utah Jazz are as a franchise and what's taking place here. That all four players, some with more options than others, Boyan probably with the least, chose Utah. And there's not a consistent personality trait of any of them. They're all kind of at different stages. Boyanovic is getting his big first deal. He's getting paid. And then trying to figure out where he can show the next level of his career. Ed Davis has established himself as a backup center, so he's now picking up a spot where he wants to be. And he picked a spot behind the best back starting center in the NBA, or one of them. And then at then, you know, Jeff Green, there's a good opportunity there, no question. But at the same time, and Emmanuel Moutier is interesting, right? Like Mike Conley, but a lot of what happened, from what I understand from people, is the minute the Jazz made the Mike Conley deal, it was a signal to the rest of the league how good they expected to be, how serious they were about being good. And then Mike Conley has appeal. Players want to play with Mike Conley. And so that first domino that the Jazz pulled before they got to training camp, or before they got to free agency on the reported Mike Conley deal, changed a... uh, changed the whole mentality of the way the league view the Utah Jazz. And that has led to all four of these signings. It's pretty awesome. It's a pretty dramatic change. And as we sit and wait on Kawhi, the team as it's constructed right now is as, you know, as good as any in the Western Conference. There's been a lot of discussion of what the Jazz rotation will be. We'll dig into who Jeff Green and who Emmanuel Moutier are in just a moment. At this moment, I think you will see the Jazz and Quinn Snyder attempt to have basically seven starters, depending on the circumstance and depending on uh, who, you know, the matchups. And maybe even, you know, resting and, and load management. But your starting point guard is is Mike Conley, and your backup is Emmanuel Moutier. And there's a th- and the Jazz need a third backup point guard at some point. Do they bring back Neto? I think Neto would like to find some other place to play. Isaiah Cousins, who we're watching right now, I think is a possibility. Um, you're just trying to find somebody that, you know, your third point guard doesn't play a lot and if is needed. Uh, but might play a little. You know, you're going to have to probably, Mike, you got probably 12 or 15 games out Mike Conley this year. And so, you know, how are you getting through that? Well, Donovan probably plays a lot of that point, but then there's others. Your your two guard, I think, is Donovan and Dante. And the reason I keep talking about Dante as a wing is I really look at Dante and believe, and I mean this complimentary, I think he's the L.A. Lakers version of Trevor Ariza. Everyone remembers Trevor Reza as this player, but Trevor Reza has been in the league for 15 years. So in 2008, when Trevor Reza was 23 years old, he played for the Lakers 
started 20 games, came off the bench, um, and was uh, was really good. He shot 31% from three, which I think is probably a realistic number for Dante. He took two and a half threes a game. He took seven overall shots. He averaged nine points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals. He was a beast defensively. He played next to a high-usage wing player in Kobe Bryant, similar to Donovan Mitchell, and similar in the high usage, and was a complete force on that team. He was in his fourth year in the league. He had not established he could shoot yet. He was an incredible athlete. He sat in the corners, he took threes, he made some of them at 32%, which is probably a decent number for Dante next year. And if you closed out wrong, he blew by you in a straight line of his elite athleticism. And then he played the six most amount of minutes on that team. That incredible team of Derek Fisher, Kobe Bryant, Lamar Odom, Pau Gasol, and Andrew Bynum. Trevor Rees was the first guy off the bench on that team, played 25 minutes a game, and played off the ball on the weak side and straight line drives and using his speed and getting on the rim and playing in transition, and that's who I think Dante can be. Trevor Reese is 6'8", 215. Okay, their bodies are a little different, but not crazy different, right? 6'8", 215 compared to 6'6", 190? Like, that's the same player. And that's why I keep putting Dante as a wing. Is because I think that's who he can be as a player. Then you have Ingles and O'Neal. I think Bojan starts as your power forward, or Ingles does. I think O'Neal could start as your power forward. And then you're playing LaMarcus Aldridge, or you're playing LeBron, you might decide that you want to have Jeff Green start those games so that Jeff Green, a little bit bigger and stronger, matches up on those particular players. But for the most part, I think I'm going with Bojan, Ingles, along with... Mitchell, Conley, and Gobert. It it doesn't entirely matter. You're going to change them around. Quinn's going to tell you about how in Europe they do this all the time, and Quinn's going to try to institute that. And maybe Royce O'Neal starts some of the time, and Joe becomes off the bench as he moves in this next stage of his career and kills second team guys. And maybe Jeff Green starts against LaMarcus Aldridge because you need some body. On the other end, I want to watch LaMarcus Aldridge try to guard Bojan Bajanovic coming off a pick. I'll trade LaMarcus Aldridge posting up at 18 feet with turnaround jumpers for the idea that he has to guard um, Bojan Banyanovic. All right, let's talk about Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier and who they are as we continue. Today's show is brought to you by The Store. I made a great discovery last night, by the way. It's not as good as when they're fresh and right out of the oven, but my wife, I bought some mudslide cookies before our trip, and we didn't finish them. She put them in the freezer. They were out of the freezer, and I came home last night from Summer League and had my mudslide cookies. It was incredible. Uh, the store's got great stuff going on right now. Fourth of July, cakes and chips and bar- the meat in the back area, plus the Cottonwood Ace right next door has got all of your barbecue needs going on at the store as well. Uh, so that's taking place. There's a lot going on at the store. I'm going to have to run through a lot of different things here. So that's the first thing that's going on at the store. The second thing is the store is opening in Gateway, and so they are hiring um, new people at the Gateway. So you might, uh, if you're interested, uh, that is that is a place that, you know, I think that might be some place you want to work. This, these Jeff and Scott are great people. It's a great family-run uh, place. So if you – or um, you you can be those high school kids that are helping out the uh, the the great families of, of 
out at 6200 South and 20th East. So that's taking place. Um, and then also uh, there are great uh, meat selections for your barbecue needs. They've got some pre, uh, some things that are done already that are done in, uh, that are pre-marinated for you and taking place there. So there's all sorts of great things uh, that are taking place at the store. 6200 South. 20th East, while you're there, make sure you go get your mudslide cookie. Um, of course, while you're there, also check out the Leatherbees Locked On Mudslide Ice Cream. And while you're there, uh, June Pies, all the other uh, great aspects of things that make the store so special. 600 South, 20th East, it's the store. All right, uh, Jeff Green. Jeff Green, for years, has been panned a little bit as this player who uh, is a mid-range maven, is doesn't understand efficiency, gets traded for first-round draft picks like he's going to be the, the model and then turns out to be a disaster. Memphis made a terrible trade with him. Boston duped him. And, and that kind of became his reputation. Over the last two years... He's really transformed who he is as a player. In a points gained level, he's gone from a negative player to a really high-level positive player. Uh, his shot selection is the first thing that is the most different about him. He's gone from being a guy in his career took about 28% of his shots as threes and lived in the mid-range at a rate of about 26% of his shots. Last year, 47% of his shots were threes and 19 or 17% of his shots were twos or long twos. That's a big change. Um, he is 32 years old, so he's now going to be – there's some signs of aging. He's, he used to go to the rim about 31, 32% of his shots. In Cleveland with LeBron, he went 40% of his shots at the rim. Washington last year, he was down to 24% of his shots at the rim. So he really became a spot-up three-point shooter last year. Uh, he's a 30 – for his career, he's a 33% three-point shooter, which is not particularly good. Now, the rule of 750, if you ignore aging here for a second – the rule of 750 is that a player's last 753 point shots are going to give you an indicator of what he probably is as a three point shooter. So let's take a look at that. Last year he took 320. The year prior he took 170. The year before that he took 193. So if we push those three numbers together, 320, 170, and 193, we're at 683. We add the 213 of the previous year. We're now at about 900. So somewhere in that middle mix of time uh, is is where we have. So let's take the last three years. It's not quite 750, but it's awfully close. He ends up being, uh, he ends up taking four, what did we say a minute ago? We said uh, 683. And in the he, he's hit uh, 683 three-pointers 
Um, and over that three-year span, he because he only shot 27% in Orlando and 31% in Cleveland and 35% last year, he's only a 32% three-point shooter. So that's that. Don't don't. I don't think you want to be surprised by that number, that 35, and expect it to happen. That that I think would be faulty. So he's about a 32% three-point shooter. So he's Jay Crowder in a lot of ways, and not and not a huge deal better than Jay Crowder shooting. Um, I think that's worth understanding about him. Um, he is more athletic. He actually had more dunks last year at 32 years old than Donovan Mitchell uh, did in his season. 6'9", 235, he still gets on top of the cup. Uh, not with, you know, he's just not in a crazy way, but just um, still gets on top of the cup. Open shooting, which is what we did not do. Last year, he shot 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. And on open threes and anything where the defender was was more than four feet, and that's really all he takes. He's got a pretty slow release. So, I, you know, he only took – he was three of 25 on shots with a defender within four feet of him. He's That's not a strength of his. That's, again, similar to Jay. Um, so last year, if you – you know you now this is going to help his numbers, obviously, because you're taking out those um, – those performances, he's a he's a thirty seven percent open three shooter last year. But again, last year's a little high. So if we go back to his year in Cleveland, he's a thirty three percent catch and shoot guy. Same circumstance. Um, he does not take a lot of contested on wide open shots, which is six feet or more. He was at thirty five percent. So not a great shooter. A good body, six nine two thirty five. Um, at this stage of his career, I would suspect that um, he started 44 games last year. I think he he came off the bench for Cleveland. I think he's prepared to come off the bench, and I think that's actually what he'll do is he'll come off the bench uh, for the Utah Jazz. I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter the other day that people thinking that he was going to um, – that he would be the starter for the Jazz. I, I, do, I see matchups – in which that could be the case, but I don't necessarily think that Jeff Green at this point in his career um, becomes a starter. So he's, you know, this is a guy who, at you know, a different stage, he was originally traded for Ray Allen. He was the fifth pick of the NBA draft by Boston, traded for Ray Allen, and then with Oklahoma City, he's a 17-point-a-game scorer. Um, I think there's, you know, when you want to get to his value, what is his value? His value is... Experienced, 6'9", with a level of versatility, um, kind of always been in between that 3-4 position that now become a 4. He has become a, a spot-up shooter um, for Washington. He uh, has great experience. Like, I think you cannot undervalue assigning a guy that's, you know, 33 years old and been in the league for a long time, played 22 playoff games in one season uh, with Cleveland and gone to the wire. And you're getting him on a minimum contract. Uh, and I think that's that's pretty important to understand. He's going to help you win a game or two. Um, he's going to miss some shots as well. The other thing I think's interesting about him in this mix is that last year, on 110 possessions, he was the pick-and-roll man. So you're going to have him as your 6'9 power forward, and if he's starting instead of Bojan or Ingles or O'Neal for a night, he actually um, – oh, actually, excuse me, that was pick-and-roll. He can actually be a pick-setter, um, but he also can play with the ball in his hands a little bit. Um, last year it was 20 
three attempts, excuse me. Um, and in Cleveland, they didn't do a lot of pick and roll with him. In Orlando, they didn't. But if you go back to his career, he can handle a tiny bit. Um, and I think that gets him interesting. And frankly, he played some center last year, uh, which I don't think we would do. But if you really want to go small, Washington used him as a center. Washington was a weird – he didn't play particularly hard last year. And I think that's the other thing is you're just going to have to make sure he's always playing hard. I, that has been a book on his career a little bit, um, that he's a little bit of a coaster. So good pickup, solid bench player, I think, for most of the year. will start at s- certain times when needed or if needed. And uh, I think that he – uh, you're getting – it's a big sign that this is a player who has decided he wants to play in Utah. Dwayne Wade chimed in last night. I do not understand how and why Jeff Green keeps signing these one-year deals for the minimum. He is now three years in a row. He's never injured. He's never been a problem in the locker room. He's athletic. He can shoot the three. He can guard multiple positions, and he's not old. Um, I got a text from a uh, a front office guy in the NBA – last night on Jeff Green, who uh, comment to me was, um, love love Green for the role. We wanted him. Tends to lose focus at time, but Quinn will handle that without problems. Super pickup. Uh, so there, those are, that's the word on Jeff Green. Let's look at Emmanuel Moutier uh, and who the Jazz got with this youngster, and I mean youngster, when we continue today's show brought to you in part by homie homies revolutionizing the real estate world so you can save money there's really no other reason that homies doing any of what they're doing other than to save you money see for years the real estate market has just been quickly six percent that's what it is comes out no matter what you pay your six percent homies like now nah, we're not doing that anymore it's a flat fee for $1,500, simplify the fees, make it really simple. When you sell a house, you sign up with Homie. It's a flat $1,500 fee, and now uh, Homie's team of experts goes to work for you. And they're selling houses at a faster rate than the market value. They are continuing to um, sell at a higher price than the market. So they're faster than the market uh, average and they're selling at a higher price. Really, what else could you ask for? Plus, you're saving a tremendous amount of equity on your house. If you're selling a $400,000 house, I don't even know what the mean house is anymore, and you have to give up 6% of that, that's $24,000. With Homie, instead of the $12,000 that's your 3%, you're playing $1,500. That is a game-changing number. If it's a $200,000 house, you're saving money. A lot. And if you're selling a $200,000 house instead of a $400,000 house, you probably care about how much money you're saving more, right? Right? Do the math on it. It's remarkable. Call, text homie, find out what they can do for you. Text LOCK, L-O-C-K-E, to 88588. That's LOCK to 88588. Text LOCK, L-O-C-K-E, to 88588. Emmanuel Moutier. All right, this one's interesting. Taking a swing is what you're doing here. You're taking a swing. So Emmanuel Moutier was the number two high school player in the country. He ends up not playing for SMU. 
and he ends up being drafted by Denver with the seventh pick of the draft. He's 6'5", 200 pounds. He's going to be this big guard. Everyone's excited about him. As I said, he was the you go back to the class of 2014 recruiting, and Jalil Okafor's one, and Emmanuel Moutier's two, and it's kind of funny. Stanley Johnson's three, and Cliff Alexander's four, and then finally you get to some players, Carl Anthony Towns and Miles Turner and Kelly Oubre that actually can play a little. Um, he's comes into the NBA at 19 years old in Denver. Denver in 2015-16 is not particularly good. Um, Den- Denver, uh, and he gets thrown in as the starter, and he's a disaster. He shoots 36% from the field, 32% from three, has an effective field goal percentage of 40. He can't see the floor. He turns it over three times a game. It's a mess. 2016-17, they do it again with him. He starts the year as their starting point guard, and it's a disaster again. And finally, he start, gets he gets inactive, he gets DNP'd, he's out of the rotation. And by by January of that year, like that relationship is kind of done. They manual he shoots thirty eight percent, he shoots thirty two percent from three, he turns it over twice a game. It's not there. Uh, he can't shoot, he doesn't see the floor, all sorts of stuff. Then we midway he comes off the bench for Denver in 2017-18 he actually shows some signs like he's shooting 40% from the field, 37% from 3. He's actually he's actually showing signs. All the turnovers are down, things look a little bit better, but Denver's going to have to decide what they're going to do with him and they decide they don't want to sign him to an extension, so they trade him to New York at the deadline just to kind of move on. And frankly, he was not a very good um plus minus player at the time either. And so Denver sends him to New York. Dallas, it was part of Devin Harris, goes uh, to Denver, Denver, and they add Devin Harris, and New York gets various picks and this and that. And really, the issue is that they they don't want to sign him. They don't want to... I think they decided to not exercise their option on him, and and they've got to move him. So he goes to New York last year. He's playing on a not very good team. He's got some freedom. He's released from being this top 10 pick, and he's good. And some of it seems unnatural, and some of it's at least interesting and probably worth taking a shot at. So the first thing that happens is he goes from being a 33% mid-range shooter to a 48% long two shooter. He also becomes a 48% 10 to 16 foot shooter when he used to be 36%. So That's really interesting, and it seems unnatural, but it's worth noting. The other thing that happens on Moutier is he begins to learn how to play the pick-and-roll. And he actually, up until January 22nd, when he gets hurt, is one of the top five pick-and-roll guards in the NBA, playing very, very well for the Knicks. And then by the time he comes back from his injury, the Knicks are tanking at an alarming rate, and now he's playing with Mitchell Robinson and a bunch of young kids who don't know how to play, and his pick-and-roll game goes to hell. 
And so if you look at his overall numbers for the season, they're not very good. But if you actually come back and look at Moutier for the year, he runs 1,400 pick and rolls. And with Cantor, he's at 1.035 points per pick and roll. And with Vonley, he's at .95 points per pick and roll. And he might actually be pretty good at it. With Mitchell Robinson, he's at .79, which is terrible. And Luke Cornetti's at .84, which is terrible. And Kevin Knox, he's at .84. And DeAndre Jordan, he's at .79. And the Knicks don't really care anymore. And so you'd suddenly go look at his pick and roll game. And if you stop it around where he gets hurt and leaves on January 22nd and and say, okay, well, that's before the Knicks had totally started tanking everything and before the Knicks had gone, you know, now he's really good. He's at 1.02 points per pick and roll. He and Cantor are 1.04. He and Vonley are at one. He and Cornette are at one. He's good. Has something changed at that point about Emmanuel Moutier? The other one that's interesting on Emmanuel Moutier is he's a good corner three shooter. So he's a good corner three shooter. He's become a decent mid-range shooter. He is not particularly good at the rim. He He got to the rim more last year. I think one of the things that happened with Emmanuel Moutier is he learned that he's not an elite athlete. He's not at all. He's got an incredible body. He's 6'5". He's 200 pounds. It's like a dream come true body, but he's not an elite athlete. And I think, I've always believed this about NBA players, and he might be a little slower. Year one, the players just get their ass kicked. Year two, they go work on all of the things that they couldn't do in year one and try to do them again. And you know what happens? They still can't do them. Because it's the NBA and it's too good. And then year three, they come back and they try to do something. They start to change and they go figure out the things they can and can't do. And there's if you go to the first half of his year in Denver and ignore his second half of the 22 games in New York, which was a mess. And for all we know, you know, he got to New York and got to New York and it just he was not good. Who knows why? Um, 21-year-old kid in New York maybe was not a great script. I have no idea. Uh, 22-year-old kid in New York suddenly has a really good first half of the season while the Knicks are somewhat playing. And you see, actually, a natural line here of his shootings getting better, his turnovers are going down. There is absolutely a line of development. Now, if we're really honest about that, so, so what the Jazz do is they get a call from B.J. Armstrong, who basically says, you have one of the best player development programs in in the world, and I have this kid who's still a 22 years old and a piece of clay and I want him to come play for you and and the Jazz sit down and talk to Emmanuel Moutier basically and I mean a lot of this is hypothetical and say here's your you know you're not starting we have Mike Conley you're gonna have to learn you're gonna come in what are your thoughts and clearly they're on board but if you look at some of the numbers on Moutier in his career he's not a good transition player which is usually where athletes show up He's not a particularly good isolation player, which is usually where athletes show up. What he is has become a pretty good pick-and-roll player. He's probably learning how to pick his spots. Maybe he's learning how to pass. We'll see that over time. And he's his game is at least evolving, and the Jazz now have him for a year. My only thing, and I'm sure B.J. Armstrong wouldn't do it, is I would have rather signed him for two. Like, if you're going to take a flyer on Emmanuel Moutier, let's, let's take him for two. Because I think it's a worthwhile flyer. He's 20-some-odd years old. And if he's actually developing and you end up with Conley getting older, then he can play more and more. Um, but 
you know, this is a guy who played 27 minutes a game last year, averaged 15 points a game, and you just got him for the minimum. To me, you take that flyer. We'll see. He's not a great points game player. He's never been an efficient player. He's been a terrible plus-minus player. Like, there's a reason why a former number two high school player in the country, former number seven pick, former, you know, high art is available for the minimum. His career has not gone the way he would like it to go at this point. And now is his opportunity. He, I am never a believer in these kids who are learning how to play at the NBA level. And that's a little bit of his story. He comes over from the Congo. He come, lives in, in abject poverty in Dallas. Um, gets recruited by... Um, gets recruited by Larry Brown at SMU and is going and you know is going to suddenly um, and, and play at SMU and then doesn't play at SMU. I think he I can't remember. I think he went to Europe and played and made some money and tries to learn the NBA game at this level. And I I don't think that's not always the greatest script um, for someone. Um, his family got asylum. I mean, it's an incredible story. His family gets asylum in Texas, out of Congo, um, and then I think with uh, he went to China. Actually, played got a one point two million dollar deal to go play in China to get get his money some get his family some money, and he sprains his ankle ten games in. So he really doesn't play that year. He doesn't play a lot in high school, um, and so I think he's been behind on the learning curve um, throughout his career, and that's what you're. Um, you know, and that's and that's where he is right now, and trying to now still learn the game. All right, that's a quick take on the guys we signed. Hope you enjoyed. We'll look at the rest of the NBA on Friday. I'll have a great Fourth of July. Be safe. Uh, enjoy yourself. Um, and uh, tip a hat to our country on this Fourth of July, and all those that have built it over the years, from the founders and the marketplace of ideas to as we've proceeded through and our various heroes that have made our country what it is. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.